Today I'm not, uh, not going to be explaining the point of this sermon series because, you know, we know that um, Pastor Tracy has made it very clear that we're talking in context. So Pastor Tracy is such an amazing communicator, and I, and I don't need to do, add anything to how she has stressed the importance to understand why Scripture was written in the Bible and how careful we need to be when we just take a Scripture or half a Scripture and use it in an application. I, I would be just actually wasting everybody's time if I stress the point that Jesus said, you know, and used that the Pharisees and the Sadducees were using scriptures out of context in order to enslave people and lock them. I, it would be a waste of my time to remind you of the context of scripture. So instead, how about we play a game? If you had a chance this week to read my little devotional about comas, or commas, as Pastor Scott would say, um, we understand that punctuation in a sentence can make a big difference. And I'm sorry, it makes me laugh every time I read the first one that I had in there, which is, let's eat grandma. Wait a sec, there has to be something in there. So we got to have that comma in there, because otherwise, grandma's in trouble, right? Yeah, so it's got to be, let's eat grandma. So we're inviting grandma to come eat. So context of scripture also comes down to punctuation also comes down to how God stressed it. Now, if you're a person who has more than one copy of the Bible, uh, I mean translation-wise, you're going to see that many different translations um, are in agreement where commas, periods, and explanation marks are, and some of them have changed a little bit. So we want to always be careful as we read Scripture that we actually pay attention to where the punctuation is because things tie together. So today, I just wanted to throw up a couple of statements. Now, we're, we're, uh, I want you to think about this. This is a game we're playing, and at the end of the game, the winner will get 10 Pastor Tracy points. Um, four prizes that have not been determined and actually never thought of yet. So th that's, that's the chance here. If I made this statement, I'm going to bear it all today, what would be your first thoughts? See, I'll, I'll give you a second to think, like, how many of you thought I was going to explain something clearly? Or just maybe that I might, uh, you know, be going to show you that I was wearing my minion underwear today. Uh, um, or maybe you thought that I might just pour out my heart on a hurt that I've experienced. So hold on to that thought. What if I said, what a racket? How many of you would think that maybe I was talking about how loud the worship was today? Maybe you might be thinking that I saw some great Bitcoin investment on my Facebook feed. Or maybe you might drift off thinking about your pickleball match this afternoon and needing to get a new racket. Or finally, this is truly divine. Now this one should be easy. Your first thoughts might be that you think that everything up till now that we've experienced in service today is divine. Or it might be interesting that you, uh, you might actually think that what I'm about to preach is truly divine. And of course, if you pick the last one, there's a hundred Pastor Tracy points in there for you. <laughs> My point being this in these three points is what is the context wrapped around each one of these statements? There's so many things that you can come to with each one of these statements that may not be anything I said. So basically, all of you were right, and potentially all of you were wrong. 
This is the context of what we want to go through when we listen and we read Scripture. Now, I've been around the Pentecostal Assemblies for a long time, much like Pastor Tracy. I didn't get born into it. It wasn't my lineage. But at about the age of 15, um, well immersed in a, a youth group that was active. And I experienced what was the Holy Spirit and the joy of the Spirit and what the Holy Spirit does. And I knew that was for me. But there's been those times at the altar that are just, they're so special. And there's a statement that keeps occurring over and over again, and I'm on my soapbox today. An out-of-context or potential context scripture that I want us to focus on and think about because it can't stand alone. Has anybody ever heard someone say to them, God will not tempt you with more than you can handle? How about if we look at the accurate scripture that says God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can handle? Now, we've probably heard that. Unfortunately, as much as the statement is true, it's also slightly untrue. Now, no stonings, please. Wait, just give me a chance. Although, a guy, I have the bad apple, so I don't have to worry about getting hit with it. Here's my point. We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 10.13 today. And 1 Corinthians 10.13 is the basis of this particular scripture. But it's only half of the scripture. We take that out and it is an amazing promise that God will not allow temptation to be more than you can handle. It's an amazing scripture. But it's actually missing the emphasis that's really in the scripture. I introduced Pastor Tracy to an actually a brand new Bible that she never knew existed or didn't have a copy of. I don't, if you've ever spent time talking with my wife, she has one favorite store she goes to all the time. Well, a lot of them, but they usually have to have the word thrift in them. (laughs) So, my lovely wife is amazing at picking me up copies of the Bible in all different translations for a couple of bucks. I have a stack of like almost all the translations you can find on on the YouVersion app. So I introduced her to the complete Jewish Bible. So it would seem to be odd, because why would the Jewish people have the New Testament? Well, there's Messianic Jews. Those are the Jews who believe who Jesus Christ was and really was the Messiah. So they actually have a complete Bible. So they reference then this scripture. So out of the Jewish Bible, it says, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has seized you beyond what people normally experience. And God can be trusted not to allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. On the contrary, along with the temptation, he will also provide the way out so that you will be able to endure So I want to go back, we're going to go read the whole context of this scripture later from 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 13. But let's take that first scripture and we look at the fact that there's a couple of things we need to make a point of. First and foremost, God will never tempt you with sin. 
He can't. James 1.13 says this. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. I want us to understand that as the scripture is written, it really is that there is an allowance for this temptation to happen. And why is that? It's about proving. It's about your strength. It's about your endurance in God. It's about your endurance in your faith. The Greek word for temptation is pyramos. Pyrasmos, sorry. There's four applications of it in the Bible. One, it could be proving. So you're testing someone's love. One could be just a trial of physical endurance. It could be actually meaning testing. So choosing a path of where you're going to go. And then the last being temptation, which is towards sin. For the purpose of this scripture, Paul is bringing in the context of temptation. That sins that are drawing into your life and you are facing, you are standing in front of. James makes it clear though that God isn't the one tempting you. It's actually Satan that is tempting you. But it's been allowed by God. But why? Why would God allow us to be tempted? My second takeaway from the scripture before we read is, you will be tested beyond what you can handle. We tell people, we pray for people, we tell them that you won't be tempted beyond what you can handle, except that is a contradiction to scripture. If you, if you read stories of great men and women in the Bible, if you read the life of Abraham, if you read David, if you read Moses, if you read Peter, if you even read about Paul, each one of these individuals I mentioned, and there's more, they failed. They sinned. Well, then they must have been tempted beyond what they could handle. Otherwise, they wouldn't have sinned. It wouldn't have got to that point. My concern in this scripture in the context is, and it is such an encouragement that God is with us, and he's going to take care of us, and he's not going to let us be tempted beyond our physical death. What God is saying is that no temptation is going to be put before you that would kill you. It's no temptation that man has not already experienced. Here's Paul's reference to being tempted to the point of almost death. 2 Corinthians 1, 8 and 9. We do not want you to be misinformed or uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death but this happened, this is great, but this happened, that we might not, we may not rely on ourselves, but on God who raised the dead. Paul was tempted and tested right to the point of almost death. But by the grace of God and the provision of God, they were saved from it. I want to assure you that without God's help, it's almost impossible to beat the temptation you find yourself in daily. So God's not the author of your temptation. 
And he's there to get you through it because we lack the ability within ourselves to beat it. So in context then, when Paul is writing about in 1 Corinthians 1 through 13, we're going to read the whole passage. And that way we can get a better understanding of of what that whole passage looks like. Now I said I have different translations of the Bible. Now this is an NIV version, but it's not the most updated. So you're going to see a little bit. Oh, you won't see it on the screen. But you will see it on the YouVersion app. And in, if you have a newer Bible, they've changed a little bit of the wording to make it more inclusive. So what I'm going to read may not match the NIV that you have, but this is it. 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 13. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. And that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test the Lord, as some of them did. And they were killed by snakes. And do not grumble, as some of them did. And were killed by the destroying angel. Wow, are you ever glad God doesn't do that right now like he used to? That's grace. You know, that's the grace we live under, that we're not accountable for something we do today to happen to us tomorrow. That, 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 that to me, like, just in that alone is an amazing father who through his son has given us the opportunity to not be judged like that. But let's keep going on. Verse 11. These things happened to them as an example and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Thank you, Lord. So in the context then of this complete passage is learn from history. You need God's help. That's the context of this full message. Paul wants the Corinthian church to understand that the trials that they're experiencing right now, we've got a minute, this is a young church who's struggling to become Christian, who were Jewish, and there's all these other influences around them in a pagan culture, and they're struggling with the trials and the temptations. But these weren't new. Our trials and temptations aren't new. Nothing we're facing today is new. And God got them through it. He's got the same plan for you to get you through it. 
Paul's very clear when he talks about verse 7, do not. Then in verse 8, he says, you should not. And then 9, he says, you should not. And then finally in verse 10, and do not. You know, there's a neat thing with Scripture that I've, I was always taught and always learned, that if God says it once, it's, you know, pay attention, it's in Scripture, it's good stuff. You know, God says it twice, eh, maybe perk up a bit. But once it gets over three times, he's making a point. He, it's not, it's not a, an opportunity to glaze over. God cautions us not to take away our fun. Because honestly, at the end of the day, sin's not fun. Like, it's not. You never get to the other side of it and say, oh, boy, that was so much fun. That, anyways, off track. I'm on my box still, okay? My, my. So my third takeaway from the passage should be that God provides you a way out from your temptation. He's the author of the answer, the strength for us to go through the temptation. We do not have to sin. We don't need to make a wrong decision. You don't need to feel that for the rest of your life you have to fix something. It's not how God wired you. But look at what David says. Psalm 68, 19 and 20. Praise be to the Lord, to God our Savior, who daily bears our burdens. Our God is a God who saves. From the sovereign Lord comes escape from death. Oh, we have such a promise. Giving in to temptation brings death. Why do I say it that way? Because giving in to temptation draws you farther and farther away from God. It pushes you farther and farther away from God. And it feels like death. The text of the passage of the Corinthian church, if you want to get through all that you are experiencing, then you must trust God. I love even the verse before, verse 12, when it says, so if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. When we tell somebody that God will not give them more that they can bear, my concern is that we give a false hope on our ability to get through it. It's a great promise that God will not give us more than we can physically bear. But we lack a component that allows us to get through it. Now understand, I, the word temptation is so... Um, you know, we go, ew, icky, icky. Um, you know, ooh, it wasn't not sinning. See, the difference between temptation and sin is the behavior that happens between the temptation and the end. You don't have to sin. You don't have to pick a wrong path. You don't have to have to play catch up. And I've got a story. I'm, I'm going to tell you a story about my life that's going to emphasize that so clearly. I want you to just hear this breakout of verse 13 from the Amplified Bible. If you've ever looked at Amplified Bible, there's a lot of times certain scriptures, they'll actually have a lot of things in parentheses. Yeah, thanks. I'm, I'm a little dry. I'm so a little, that, uh, a little hard on the tongue. 
when I talk about the translations and talk about some of the different writings, we're still struggling with the true translations because we're having trouble in context to know exactly what the Greek writing meant because so many words have so many meanings. We don't, they don't have the same number of vocabulary words as we do, and so multiple words are rolled up into one. Amplified Bible says this, and he can be trusted not to let you be tempted and tried and assailed, that's a good word, eh? And assailed beyond your ability and strength to resist and power to endure. But with the temptation, he will always also provide the way out, that means of escape to a landing place. I love that. That you may be capable and strong, and powerful, and bear it up under it patiently. So dads, we're under exposed to a lot of junk. So many distractions. So many voices that want to call us away from God's truths that want us to lead our families in directions that we shouldn't go, that want to take us down paths that we shouldn't take them. My promise to you from this scripture is that second part. That any of the temptation you find yourself in as a dad, and moms, this is for you too, but on Father's Day, we, you know, and we all have those same distractions. I don't want to minimize those same distractions that come on both sides of the gender line. But God will always have a path for you out. And the grace, if you make a mistake, to meet you on the other side. See, that's a promise. Years ago now, as I said when I was um, seeking out what God wanted us to do, um, I'd had a couple whistle-stop spots, stops, in pastoral ministry. I had the privilege of being on staff on a couple of churches in the region. It was really cool. It was neat. But they were whistle-stop places and short-term. And so, leaving the last one, I, I knew in a lot of contexts that possibly... I might have actually been guilty of pushing the direction that God wanted me to go in. In the context of that word, these were trials. Or uh, the, um, boy, now I've lost all my words. Better go back to the context. Give me a second. Yeah, so trials are testing. So God looking at the path of where I was going, going back to that original Greek word. We sat back and we took a break and we waited and I prayed that God would show me and show us a star. pastor was re- preaching a message about the wise men. And you realize the wise men had read the scriptures, they knew all about it, they knew what was supposed to happen, they knew the Messiah was to come better than most of the Jews did. But they didn't start looking for the Messiah until when? Well, they didn't look for the Messiah until God placed the star. I want to challenge you that if you're wondering 
what it is that God wants you and to lead your family towards and what it is that God has for you, for your family, pray that God will put the star over it and then start to walk towards the star. See, we know from the story that the wise men didn't just end up at the star, right? It just didn't come up and there they were. No, they were on a path, they were on a journey, and they stopped, and they, and they talked to Herod, and they said, hey, what do you know about this scripture? What do you know about this star? And then they followed the star. So I pray that God would give us a star. We went, we followed, we got placed in a, little, in a, in a, in a beautiful church, inner city, marginalized people that just wanted to know who God was. No history. They didn't come into church with burden of history of church. They came in with the burden of life. Came in with the burden of the things that they learned on the street. Oh, it was a beautiful fit for me. (laughs) I was loving it. But God could see the timeline that I couldn't. So then I decided to help God with the timeline. (laughs) My poor wife, (laughs) and I love her. She's so great. She's such a support. In this time of ministry call, it's been difficult for her because we both walk out daily what it might look like. But I'm a little bit stronger personality. She's a little bit more introverted. So guess who tends to win most arguments? (laughs) So Dave decided to buy a house in the town that this church was in. And, um, you know, it all looked really great. Everything was coming together. Bought it, great price. Now I got two mortgages that I can't afford. Then I used a whole lot of money that I shouldn't have used to fix that place up so that it was going to be our beautiful place. And, you know, I gave Monica the ability to to do all the decorating and what the kitchen was going to look like. And it was just all happening so great. And it seemed like God was in it all the way. And 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 I'm following through. Except some point before we bought the house, we kind of stopped praying about asking if this is where we were supposed to be. Six months later, we still had two nice mortgages. And God would not sell our house in Baden. What's up, God? Monica works in a field that is desperate for staff, even back then. Couldn't get a job in the town, well, the city. Mm. So we put both our houses up for sale and said, okay, God, we messed up. Well, maybe that's not how I said it. (laughs) And God sold the house that I bought that I wasn't supposed to buy. And you know, except for the fact that I lost the penalty of some real estate fees, God actually raised the purchase price of my house and covered all the renovations I did. So I walked away from a debt that I could not afford on a decision that I could not make, or shouldn't have made. He covered my mistake, except for a little bit, just to remind me. God met me on the other side of the mistake I made in my trial. 
going off scripture now because I know that. I told Pastor Tracy when I got here today, when I was coming today, it was a little more, one of probably the most nervous ones I've been to come and preach. I preach regularly. This isn't normal. This isn't how I should be coming to share the word. Sharing the word of God is such a privilege, such a, pre- a pleasure to, to speak about who holds the keys to my life. Yeah, some people couldn't stand up here. But you know, I'm going to tell you, I can stand up here and I can do this because that's how God's got me wired. But he might just have you to be wired because you're a one-on-one person. Never take away that ability if you're a one-on-one God-loving Christian who does one-on-one ministry with people. You are more effective than I can ever be here. But this is what God puts in front of me. That's just a sidebar. It's Father's Day. You know, one of the hardest things I think for us on Father's Day is if we didn't have a good dad. We didn't have the dad that maybe was there for us. We didn't have the dad that, that, you know, came to our baseball games. The dad that, that taught you how to use a hammer. Just that time. The dad that invested in you because life was too busy. Do you know what? God's not like that. God's not that dad. When we read scripture, when we read this scripture, God doesn't want us to do it on our own. God wants to give us a path. And he wants to help us through all those trials. And whether it's a trial, whether it's a proving, whether it's a test, whether it's a temptation, We're not alone. Dad's never too busy at work. Dad's not distracted by sports on the TV. Dad may not be in, well, dad isn't in the corner drunk. One of my brother-in-laws, and I know this is a bad example, but hey, one of my brother-in-laws, one of the first things he taught his son what to do was to go get a beer out of the fridge for him. And I don't discredit my brother-in-law at all. But that's just not a skill I think we need to teach our kids. Our God doesn't ask us to go get a beer from the fridge for him. Our God says, get up in my lap. Let's spend some time. There is an unfortunate part to this. And... I'll call the worship team up. I'm way off script, but that's okay. I think God wants to really help you, no matter what gender you are, realize how important 
you are in the context of the struggles you are going through. There is no lonely road. There is no dark path. There is no quiet alley where you're alone. I'm sorry if your dad was not where he should have been. Mine wasn't. But there's a a time in your life and in the richness of Scripture that every one of us can learn the God who is our dad and learn how special you are to him. I know my dad doesn't know how many hairs I have on my head. (laughs) And yet God knows. God says in scripture, David says that, that God collects our tears in the palm of his hand. He holds on to them. He knows, he knows what you're going through. The context of this scripture is God has a path for you, a plan for you. He has a way to get you out of whatever you're in. You're not and never too far into it. Well, unfortunately, we can be too far into it. Because if we're missing the first element, if we're missing the fact that we don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ and with God the Father, you don't get the help. You are on your own. If you have not actually gone to God and say, God, I believe you are who you are. Jesus Christ, I believe what you've done. I believe what scripture said. I want to know you. I want to be loved by you in the way you designed me to be. I want to fill the void of that. I know it's hard in culture right now even when we talk about gender names. Does it matter? There is a God. That's the reality of it. And there is a God who loves you and wants to be such a dedicated father to you that he'll never let you fall. But you have to rely on him. You have to turn over those temptations. You have to turn over those trials. You have to turn over your life to God. And the best part is at the end of that, he's not a control freak. (laughs) He's a guidance. He's a person who will take you by your hand and wants to walk it out with you. Scripture sometimes can be a struggle. We get into scriptures that... We just don't understand. How is this possible? I know somebody who right now struggles with believing who God is because of one scripture. Out of context. One scripture. It's a big book. Like, you know, there's translations and and this just happens to be a big one because I'm getting hard at reading and I need the bigger print. And it's really hard to get the scrolls out of my... No, I'm just kidding.
1 Corinthians 10, 13. We're going to start at 12. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand. That's the part of the blessing I want you to receive. Today, I know it's Father's Day and and Matt's got to go cook a brisket. Matt's got to cook a brisket. Sorry, Matt. But you know, wouldn't it be cool on Father's Day to get to know the real father? <laughs> wouldn't that be a great benchmark? If today you could say, you know what, Father's Day is amazing, but it's amazing for one reason. Today is a day that I really gave it over to God. Today's the day that I started to learn what a real father looks like, what a real father does. So I honestly, I want to open the altar for some time. The easiest thing you can actually do is walk up here. If you're online, the easiest thing you can do is reach out to Pastor Aaron. That's the easiest thing you can do. Because you always get met in this place. Unfortunately, the hardest thing to do is to get out and walk and get in your car and go home. That's where it gets hard. But that's where God takes this scripture and says, I won't give you more than you can bear physically, but I've got the plan and the ability to get you through it if you trust in me. Pastor Tracy and the team are going to sing. These altars are open. Can just come and pray. If you need to make a new commitment to Christ, if you need to, to come to a first time commitment to Christ, what a great day. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to talk with you. We've got so much, so much support for you. Just come. And I'll finish with prayer.